You are listening to Jump Scare, the podcast that sees it coming. I'm Shanice, a longtime horror fan. And I'm Will, a longtime horror fan as well. Jump Scare is a podcast that's here to look back, look ahead, and get down and bloody with horror movies. And we are currently finishing out our cabins arc. Yeah, we are. It's It's been wild. And we are excited to wrap it up with today's movie and excited to get into the next thing. But yeah, looking forward to it. It's a weird movie indeed. And as with every podcast, we are drinking a special drink for our movie. So our movie is Sleepaway Camp. And what are we <laughs> drinking, Will? The movie is Sleepaway Camp. And uh, good 80s bros that we are, just trying to play some softball, maybe meet some girls, uh, you know, do some sailing. Uh, we're drinking Budweiser. I am not from the 80s, but I'll take that. <laughs> We're drinking the King of Beers. King of Beers. Just just a couple of just a couple of dudes drinking Budweiser, you know? For like the King of Weird Horror. Yeah. Movies. Yeah, it's cuz it's so in a sense it's so like vanilla America. Um and at the same time it's so fucking weird. Um but yeah, so we're drinking Budweiser's, guys. And you should drink along with us, responsibly. <laughs> so Sleepaway Camp was 1983. And who was the director? Robert Hiltzik. What a name. <laughs> does, that name <laughs> does that name ring a bell to you? Probably not. Shanice, tell me about Robert Hiltzik's illustrious horror career. So many. So, just kidding. This is like his claim to fame. He made... This weird movie, then didn't make anything else. And actually, in an interview with uh, this like Sleepaway Camp fan blog, mm -hmm. he admitted that he didn't know that it was a cult classic until 2000 when they interviewed him. Yeah. He like knew that this movie <laughs> made a blip and he was just kind of like, okay, it existed in the 80s, whatever. Uh huh. And no. <laughs> Dude, this is like haunting people for several years later. We're still talking about it. Yeah. And that led to him making the sequel. Um, but at this time, this is his first movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. like his last Basically, at that point? Yeah. So he he did do a 2008. It was kind of, it was a sequel. Because there are a whole bunch of sequels that were like semi-connected to the main story that came out sort of in the wake of this movie that he didn't really have anything to do with. Um, and then in 2008, so what's that like? I can't really do math. Is it 25 years after the original came a out? A whole person. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole person's life, a lifetime later. He did another movie that I don't think either of us have seen. This make, is news to me, so no. Yeah, right. Didn't make much of an impression, but he like revisited the story. But essentially, this is his only real movie. After this, he like became a lawyer. And just worked as a lawyer in New York for his career. In his interview, he talks about his kids. He became a family man. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's his big thing. And it's really interesting because in that interview, he, they, like, ask him, like, what's your favorite horror movie? And he, like, pauses a beat and says, The Omen. So clearly, this man is struggling with, like, parent <laughs> issues. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I feel like Sleepaway Camp was his way of therapy, maybe yeah i guess i it's just so singularly weird to have this person like do this one movie and then never really revisit either film or horror again essentially for their adult life is so fascinating <laughs> and so we're just left with this one movie likewise there's not really very many famous there's there's really no stars in it 
I mean, how dare you? <laughs> the actress who plays Angela. Angela. Her website says, from sleepaway camp to scream queen legend. I was like, all right, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> yeah, if you look at her Wikipedia page, apparently she didn't do any movies after this. And then she kind of realized, I guess, like the director, that she had scream queen status and has since, since like the late aughts done a ton of shitty like direct-to-video horror so many dude but i yeah. mean like do you blame her like if i had one claim to fame and it were being in a horror movie fuck yeah put me in like the next 50 oh non-stop. totally <laughs> i love it <laughs> and these are like these aren't even b level horror movies that we are aware of i mean we're not talking like sharktopus level it's like way worse than that it's like Movies that I had never heard of that don't even make it onto the like bottom of the Netflix queue when Netflix used to have a bottom of a queue. Is Sharktopus your debut horror film? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a um, Roger Corman produced movie about a giant shark that is also part octopus. I'm so angry. <laughs> we will be we will be covering it extensively. You mock me uh, with all of the sea creatures, Will. <laughs> this is only this is. We're wrapping up cabins, and we're going to do a year-long under-the-sea arc. I think Will needs a new co-host. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, But, yeah, there's not a lot of like famous people. There was one really famous actor, and Robert says the reason that this film got made was because they had the one name. Okay. Which was Mike, and I forgot his last name, so sorry. But it would honestly, like, clearly casted... At a camp, it feels like. It was like, hey, here's an open yeah, call. Totally. Come all, children, and like we'll put you in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's unique in the sense that it uses actual minors for most of its scenes, whereas most of these movies like Evil Dead or Friday the 13th, any, and I mean, that was true in the 80s and it's true right up until now. You know, most people in a teen movie look to be about 30, but they used actual kids. Which is interesting because it it didn't have it doesn't have that horror sort of cabin horror quality of mm. ambiguous age of like whether you're in late high school or early college like these were so clearly children yeah and they come across as very natural children I mean I think people forget how cruel and crass children are I will never forget yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a it's a pretty good capture of what childhood can be like so in that sense it's kind of interesting i will say that i i do appreciate the fact that like their most sexualized female character was an actress of age Mm -hmm. she's not 14 years old um i was reading that she after they finished filming she went back to college and she was a freshman oh so she's uh 17 18 which made me feel good because you weren't like exploiting a young girl (laughs) right (laughs) i mean they exploit a lot of things in this movie, but they weren't, I'm glad that they casted someone who was older, but that's yeah. what threw me off that I was watching it. I was kind of like, oh, she's definitely older than all the rest of these kids. Yeah. You could tell. Totally. Yeah. Judy does not look like, I don't know, how, how old are they supposed to be? Like 13, 14? 14, 14, yeah. 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 I thought she was a counselor for a lot of the movie just because she, she hangs out with the counselors and she looks to be the same age as the counselors. Which she te- technically was. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie had really interesting marketing for it. I think that it was at the sort of time where a lot of these sort of like comedy horror movies weren't necessarily, people didn't realize that they were comedy. So they tried very hard to market it as a straight up horror Uh nightmare. 
And they've got a couple of weird taglines. The first one that's very odd to me is a perfect place to meet young girls might just be the perfect place to die. Might just be the perfect place to die. Which is creepy because it's kind of like, are you putting <laughs> are you putting this on the young girls? <laughs> um, and then, of course, they had a really weird tagline, which was Carrie meets Friday the 13th. Yeah, I, I guess I get it. I mean, Carrie, like, product of weird gendered abuse, Friday the 13th unseen killer at a at a camp so like i guess but <laughs> almost close <laughs> and it's just as good as both of those movies and we should say this this movie is very problematic and we both completely understand that i think that it was problematic then but as in 2019 as we know more about gender identity sexual identity and what proper language to use for people it's super bad but that unfortunately or fortunately has not stopped it from becoming a cult classic. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it does capture some of probably sort of the accurate language of the time amongst people who were not educated on the topic. It's not like, you know, trans representation didn't exist in the 80s, but it was not mainstream and it certainly was not in the purview of these like very standard 14-year-old white boys at a camp it was the sort of thing where because of the culture that existed it was not necessarily okay but totally normal for them to use this as a spectacle yes exactly i agree that like gender dysmorphia uh homosexuality all of it's used as like shock for shock value it's like god look how twisted all of this is which is terrible yeah so it's a comedy horror but i would almost argue that this movie from the time that it came out could fall into this weird genre of cult classic. Like, it just, like, <laughs> came out and you knew this movie is going to live on in some weird way. Yeah, it's so odd. Like, it's it, first of all, if it does feel like two different movies, almost in a cabin in the woods kind of way, but completely unintentional. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Stand By Me, but then there's murders occasionally, but not very often. No, and then like the mom character is very Twin Peaks, like oh, so absurdist. Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's just. And here's the thing: this movie would have been great if everyone were like the mom. Mm -hmm. Like everyone acted in that like weird. Like, are we watching actual humans? But no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, it it totally stands out. And then of course the ferocity of the last scene, which is still so visceral to watch but also just feels completely disconnected with the rest of the film, which is so, like, just, like, happy-go-lucky kids growing up for a lot of it. Just hanging out at camp. Yeah, they're just, like, hanging out. You know, they're trying to get laid. They're trying to have some fun. Just trying to win softball games. It's interesting that they're trying to get laid because they're, as an adult now, I'm just kind of like, y'all are so young. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and please don't. I mean, do whatever you want, but don't. Um, so this movie has by far the smallest budget of all the films that we've done, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So it's 350000 to make it. And that is much less than even the low-budget films we've talked about, like Friday the 13th, which was like half a million. Halloween, which was like the gold standard for a cheap horror movie that became a sensation. Uh, I think their budget was 400000 So this is even less than that. And Shanice, you had a, a theory about why that might be so low that number oh so yeah in in an interview with return to sleepaway camp um 
he talks about that there's movie sponsors, which is something mm. that I think that we forget uh, that movies have. And you get money for all of that. He actually raised a lot of this money himself because he had just graduated like film school. But he makes a joke in this interview and he says the movie sponsors such as 7-Up and Miller Beer, they brought in tons of beer and tons of soda and beer makes a crew run, <laughs> which makes me think he may not have paid everyone a fair wage yeah (laughs) yeah it sounds like that that this no one is making a lot of money off of this also if your cast is mostly children you probably don't have to pay them like sag rates oh god i assume right because these are just like kids right they're not they're not in the guild and they just want to be in something like i think that's the problem with like casting young people is that They'll do anything to like they're they're on the big screen like this is their movie right and they're yeah and they're just having fun yeah so it it made it cost about three hundred and fifty which was very low and it made eleven million which was more successful than I thought this movie was <laughs> to be honest <laughs> it's a lot of fucking money for this movie <laughs> yeah it is I mean it's way more than than budget and it I mean it came out right in the middle of the whole slasher craze right so it, like it it kind of was swept along as part of that wave people just wanted more yeah Um, but so we in our research neither of us could find an international value right we don't know if it was released internationally or not i before doing this podcast i actually always assumed that like every movie is but then i started to read that like for evil dead they did release it internationally but sam raimi he almost didn't release it internationally because it costs a lot of money to promote it internationally. And he's like, it was a big risk and he had to raise money again. Um, and he's glad he did because it, Evil Dead obviously really took off overseas. But doing this podcast and doing research has taught me that it's like a choice and it's a bit of a risk. And it's possible they just never <laughs> wanted to do that with this movie. Which I think kind of makes sense for a movie like this because, again like Evil Dead and like Friday the 13th capitalizes so much on Western culture in terms of like sleepaway camp existing and like mm-hmm. you shipping off your kids for the summer to the lake. So I'm not sure if it would it would have done well internationally. Yeah. Also, I guess Europe is less restrictive than we are, but this is a movie that has a fair amount of underage nudity in it. Like we should mention that as like... Does, does it? Yeah. Am I just so desensitized? I mean, the final shot is not underage. Oh, really? It, yeah, no, 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 no. That I'm almost positive that that body is of an adult male. Oh, okay. But God, you... I fucking hope so. My, yeah. it's funny that you say that because my fiance turned to me. He was just like, "You just made me look at a little boy's penis," and I was like, "No, I swear I didn't." <laughs> like, no, 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 no. It's an adult. It has to be an adult. Well, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do see a kid's butt when he does that that sit up. That's true. God, I am desensitized. Yeah, right? And then the kids, the boys all go skinny dipping, and you see all them naked. And I I guess they were probably all 18, but I don't know. They probably weren't 20. Oh, my God. You're right. I think, oh, that brings a lot of, like, weird feeling, even more weird feelings about this movie. This is a a problematic and also a very queered film, and I, I don't think we really, they really had the language for that in the 80s, but... The, dire- the directorial decisions on this, I got the impression there's a lot of homoeroticism, a lot of like yeah. problematic mm-hmm. eroticism going on. Yeah, yeah. It, it 
it takes on a life of its own. It truly is like a B plot of the movie. Like that's how much of a driving force it feels like. Mm-hmm. All of these background stories truly revolve around sex and like sexual identity and like sex with other people. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. super weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> a perfect segue into our what the fuck moment. What the fuck moments? Which is this whole movie is a what the fuck moment. Uh, so, yeah. So our WTF moments segment. When we think about horror movies, it seems even more than other types of movies, they revolve around certain moments, right? It's like building up to the scare or building up to the kill or building up to the reveal of the killer. So we wanted to take some moments to pick out some of the moments that really stuck out in these films. So the first thing we want to talk about is our best scare, defined broadly. (laughs) It has to be defined yeah. broadly. We've learned that lesson now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my best scare uh, is definitely Angela is, isn't is eating at the camp. So her counselor, the very calm camp counselor is like, uh-huh. hey, Angela, like, <laughs> let's go to the kitchen. And like, hey, maybe... <laughs> Angela, why aren't you eating? God. <laughs> Takes her to the kitchen and it's like, let's meet the cook. This whole thing is very weird, by the way. Yeah. Meet the cook. Maybe he can make you an ice cream sundae. Like, Okay. Leaves because he has a phone call and Artie, the cook, who we've already seen previously, is fucking weird about young women. Yeah. He's a pedophile. Clearly. Can can you tell us a little bit about the scene at the beginning? So all the kids are like running in and you see all the the adults and the counselors trying to like herd them. And it's kind of like a cute scene. You know, they're yelling and the kids are ignoring them. But then it cuts to the work staff on the side. And the cook, who is just this big old bearded dude, uh, looking like, um, I don't know, like a... Like a pedophile. Yeah, he looks like a pedophile, (laughs) doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Or like a lumberjack. He's chewing on this this straw of grass, and he's talking about all sorts of vile things about how, like, oh, look at all this fresh chicken. Look at all this, like, fresh meat. And he's talking about the children, like the young like 12, 13, 14-year-old girls who are arriving. And then one of the other workers is like, oh, man, they're too old for what you're thinking about. Or, like, they're too young to even know what you're thinking about. And he's like, nope, I like it that way. You're just too old. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, "Uh oh, you're so funny. You go ahead and rape those children. So we clearly, at this point of the film, understand that this dude is fucking creepy. Mm -hmm. So he takes her into the back where there's food. Definitely not ice cream because there ain't fucking a refrigerator back there. (laughs) And tells her that he's got something for her that she'll really like and starts to unbuckle his pants. Yeah. And... Angela spends the entire the majority of the film with her eyes that wide anyway that's yeah. very iconic but in that moment it was like it's the small shifts in her face like her eyebrows start to like turn that's like real fear of like oh my god ah like this yeah. gross terrible thing is about to happen that is terrifying and it scared me in the way that it made me really uncomfortable mm-hmm. because that I think that I've from doing this podcast have learned that a lot of the moments that make me uncomfortable or scared in these horror movies are the ones that are very real. Like that definitely happens, dude, like at camps or something. Yeah. And like that makes me so scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the the joking way that they approach it. Immediately after. Right. It's it's so 
it's really unsettling because like if they're joking about it in movies blatantly then it like reminds you of like what what is happening in the real world do you know what i mean like if if it's if it's casual enough that they can make jokes about it in like a mainstream film then it just shows that like these kids have no protection and that, yeah it's, it's really literally gross. happening in every home in america and yeah. like weird <laughs> shit like that and it's just you know it's it's scary for me <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. what's uh what's your best scare yeah so not a lot of scares in this movie obviously one because it's it's just like not a well-made movie and two because there's just not a lot of actual horror movie elements to it but i'll go with the knife in the back in the shower i didn't quite expect that to happen and it's it's a pretty gruesome the way she like keeps dragging the knife down her spine yeah is you know like if that scene had only lasted a second like in a lot of movies it would it'd be one thing but it lasts like 10 15 seconds and by like second 11 you're just like uh stop this is very difficult to watch so can i tell you something weird about that scene as mm-hmm. i was watching it uh, so the camp counselor is Meg, who, by the way, is on her way to sleep with her boss. Right. And she is the seducer in this. She is the aggressive one. Uh, there's yeah. just so much. So, <laughs> again, there's so much that revolves around sex in this movie. So what really bugs me about that scene is I feel like the direction was, okay, pretend you're an alien who doesn't know how humans shower and now you're trying to pretend to shower. Like, nothing that she does. Like, she doesn't even rub the soap on her skin properly. Really? She puts the soap down and then just starts rubbing water on her face. <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole scene, I'm just kind of like, it's done in a way that, like, oh, I'm expecting her to die, clearly, because right. she's not acting as if she's in a shower. Like, it's super weird to me. <laughs> That's interesting. I did not pick up on that. But I, I, did, I did assume that she was going to die. Um, I guess I just didn't think she was going to get stabbed be- from behind like that. I didn't either. Which yeah. is like super fucked up when you think about it. Like that's a coward way to fucking kill someone. I'm like, oh, you can't see shit. <laughs> uh, here you go. Stabbing you. Also, how fucking flimsy is that wood? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just some plastic. I don't know. The whole thing doesn't make sense. This yeah. movie just raises so many questions. <laughs> I just don't. I don't understand. So most iconic moment, which isn't always our best scare, right? Right. Yeah. Most iconic moment is like the moment that kind of answers the question in an image. Why are we watching this movie? It's not even like, why are we watching? I would also say it's the, why are we still talking? Like, why yeah. are people still talking about this movie? Because not every movie has an iconic moment. Yeah, that's true. Most of them don't, to be honest. They don't. You're like, you saw it. It was a good time. But this movie very clearly has an iconic moment <laughs> does, in oh pop God. culture. Like, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, what is, we both have the same iconic moment. Yeah. Do you want to give us some background into what what leads up to this moment? So Angela, our protagonist, this young woman uh, who we don't even realize is the killer, but obviously we know there's something off with her, and we know that she had this very traumatic experience as a very young child. And so we assume from context clues in the movie that she is still traumatized from what happened to her father and brother and that's why she doesn't talk and the moment (laughs) that 
will live on in infamy is that the counselor, two counselors, the head counselor and one of the female counselors, are out looking for Trudy or Judy? Judy. Judy. <laughs> I guess. I'm never going to know the names <laughs> of the people. <laughs> Judy, Trudy, who is missing and who we'll get to. So they're out looking for her and they hear some singing. And last we'd seen Angela, she had acquiesced to having sex, I guess, with this boy. But in a very weird, like, she's weirdly calm and odd in that scene. Like, her right. hair's a wreck, and you're already kind of like, that, that, you're kind of like, is Angela maybe involved? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, this is something is off. And she says, she asks him to take off his clothes. All of his clothes. All of his clothes. Yeah, so we know something is up. And then they come upon Angela with the boy in his lap, whose name obviously I don't know. And she is naked and he is naked. And she is singing and seems to be stroking his hair. And then she turns around and she throws the severed head of the boy at Off them. to the side. Yeah. <laughs> and we see her naked body covered in blood. We hear like growling. This terrifying growl. Yeah. Coming from her. And it's it's Angela's face. So this movie was made in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Technology is not the most amazing. <laughs> so what makes this scene so iconic, I think, back then is the the rest of the reveal. So we see Angela's very, very wide, uh, like, screen face. Her eyes are wide. And we pan away. And Angela is a boy. Yeah. Um, and the growling's happening. And it's made to make you feel uncomfortable. I think what made it so iconic for the rest of time is you watch this movie and you're like, hmm, her head's not very well sold, yeah. like <laughs> superimposed on this body. Uh huh. It looks, and it, maybe it was on purpose, but it looks like discombobulated, like it's slightly off to the side. Yeah. The like the waves are moving in the background, but clearly her hair isn't blowing in the wind. Mm hmm. Uh, and then it ends with the pit, like super neon green. Yeah, yeah. Of her face. Oh, it's just like there's so much. And then it's the stupid fucking line from like the world's most calm camp counselor. <laughs> she's a boy. Oh, wow. She's a boy. Jesus. And then the fucking reddits, the credits roll. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Freeze frame. Fade to green. Yeah. Like you said, on her face. Yeah. it It's this, it's an image that shouldn't quite work. Yeah, because it's such a bad Photoshop job, but it it just captures something terrifying, something deeply unsettling. Not just the gender reveal. It's it's like it's human and it's animal. It's like wolf like with her her hair and the growling, which is what makes it kind of like so shitty. Of this idea of like you've you've revealed something about this person, who uh, as as we come to understand it isn't choosing to be uh, a female mm -hmm. very much was uh, forced upon peter by his, ricky's mom his cousin and it just like it dehumanizes this character yeah which i think purposefully is why we have that growl and this like covered in blood close up it's very very bizarre and i think what also made it super weird is that we don't because with the society we live in we don't expect to see male nudity. No. And we, we see a whole penis. Yeah, a whole <laughs> Which penis. Which is like, 
kind of shocking, which is terrible, but it is because that's that's the sort of nudity that we're not accustomed to. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's wild now seeing it even in 2019 and in 1983. I mean, they're just weren't any other examples like at all i don't think in movies no it's like which is like a whole this that's a whole different podcast y'all that we can go on and on (laughs) about like female and male nudity yeah but it's the sort of thing again done for spectacle like everything that it builds up to is just like look at how fucking like out of the world this is yeah and it's just oh god that it's the it's also it's not even the penis part of it or the reveal it's her face yeah, it's her face. Yeah, her like her eyes are really wide and her mouth is open. It's it's not any recognizable emotion to me. Like yeah, is she happy? Is she right. sad? Is she screaming because she's going to attack them? Is it just like a cry, like a deep cry of like profound inner pain? That seems possible. It's just like so fucking out of this world, man. Yeah, it uh, it seems not human in in a bunch of ways. But that's what lives on. There's all of these. That's the most iconic moment because there's all these shirts that you could probably like get at a hot topic or whatever if you're cool. God. That have her face. Yeah. Like that. That's the thing that pops up. And when we upload this episode, <laughs> the thumbnail is 100% going to be her face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. So this movie has an interesting body count because, unlike our other cabin films, we are given reasons. To why these characters are dying. Right. So the film starts with this uh, just innocent boating scene, some kids water skiing, and then it cuts to this father just like out on his little sailboat with his two kids. And well, I think are twins. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that, that checks out. And basically the water skiing boat ends up crashing into the sailboat and killing the father and one of the children is what we see. Which for the whole movie we think is the boy. So ah. Yeah. <laughs> Always look where you're going in a boat. Uh do you know my mom uh a boat almost hit my parents' boat and they had my dad had to like like dive for the throttle and turn on the engine and like get out of the way because they were gonna plow into them. And my mother like fell because if you if a boat goes forward that fast it's and like broke her back oh my god in a boating accident yeah that that's terrifying it's real this it, is why i don't get on yeah, boats right? <laughs> <laughs> this whole pod, the undercurrent of this entire podcast is shanice is like the water will kill you <laughs> but you're right it's this whole like it, again but it does the thing that a 80s horror film is meant to do is that we start off in a really happy scene and very quickly things go to shit. Yeah. So those are our first two deaths that we see. And then as Angela and her cousin Ricky get to camp, we see people being mean to Angela because they find her a little bizarre. She doesn't talk. She doesn't talk. She's clearly very shy. Mm-hmm. Ricky's very, very overprotective. Yeah. As he should. Not overprotective. He's protective of her. He's essentially grown up with her as his sister. Yeah, right. Can we talk about how weirdly well adjusted Ricky is? Yeah, what the Compared fuck? that they grew up in the same household? <laughs> I mean, well. Because he's like the star of the camp. And maybe that, I don't know, maybe it's a um, coping mechanism. But like, he's really good at 
softball. He's on their winning team. All his, all people like him. Do we think that maybe Ricky has grown up to overcompensate? Potentially. Maybe be a bit of a perfectionist about having to be the star. Uh-huh. Because he comes up to Angela. He's like, I figured out a way to like win, capture the flag. That's true, yeah. Like He has to be the star because he's like, my mom's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible, yeah. So we see people being mean to Angela. Mm-hmm. And... Throughout the movie, that's the sort of connecting thread of the people who die. You're right. mean to Angela, you fucking die. Yes, that's right. And it starts with the cook, and then it's various kids at the camp that mistreat her, and then come to really brutal ends. But none of these deaths are things that would really kill you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, it's like it's creative in its cruelty, but it's not necessarily fatal. Like. The bees, I don't know, unless he's allergic to bees, I don't know if just putting a like a hornet's nest in a cabin is going to kill you. Well, there's also the problem that the makeup that they used for that shows a body where these insects have been nesting in. That's where there's all these like concave and like hills in that body. Uh-huh. That wouldn't happen in 20 minutes. Like that's that takes time for yeah. <laughs> insects to create this. That's true. Oh, it's just super fucking weird. I hate yeah. that death. I'm actually allergic to bees, so like oh, yeah. that death was something that I was kind of like, this is why I don't fucking go to the woods. <laughs> <laughs> she says, stay home, everybody. I stay in the city <laughs> where I'm safe. But right. so like we have all these really weird deaths. Um, and I have a bone to pick with your body count. Mm-hmm. So Tell me. This is the whole thing we were getting into before we recorded. A whole thing. So we, you're mean to Angela. You die. The ultimate mean person to Angela is a girl that's in her bunk, which happens to be Ricky's ex-girlfriend. Like, mm-hmm. they went steady last summer. Judy, Judy. Trudy. Judy Trudy. Oh, mm-hmm. who is a total bitch? Like, if I were at camp, I would have <laughs> I would have fought her. Yeah. Um, but with words, because you, it's easy to break someone like that down. <laughs> <laughs> so, technically, we see Judy's death on camera. Mm-hmm. Someone walks in, um, because at this point, we still don't know who the killer is. And puts a pillow over Judy's head and then uses the curling iron, I guess, to sort of make the death a little more sadistic uh-huh. on her body. The weird thing, too, is <laughs> that like, to... they open the curling iron. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they did that on purpose so that we wouldn't assume like, oh, they're putting it in a, a inappropriate spot. It's like, oh, they're burning her. Do you know huh. what I mean? I don't know. Maybe not. The point is. I mean, there's a. There's another interpretation to that. Oh my god, there worse. totally is, and I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I just... My poor young mind. I... <laughs> um, so this this whole thing happens on camera, and everyone who's died dies on camera in mm-hmm. in a weird way where the the mechanic of their death happens, and then we see the after effects of the mechanic. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is interesting. So like. With the curling iron, we see the shadow, or with the bees, we just see the, like the hornet's nest being put through the window. And then you see the dead body. Yeah, right. We do not see Judy's dead body. We don't. We see how she dies, the mechanic of the death. We don't see her body. And fucking then, (laughs) (laughs) which tells me either A, this film was shot without someone there to keep track of the script. <laughs> yeah, um, potentially. Or B, was open to like a sequel. So when all the camp counselors realize that there's finally a killer on the loose, 
a cop with a fake ass mustache rolls up and it's like, go keep the other camper safe. And they're like, yeah, totally. And then Meg walks up and she's like, but Judy and Angela <laughs> and Paul and Ricky are missing. Missing. <laughs> <laughs> so they all go searching for them. The next scene that we see is one of the other camp counselors coming out of the cabin where Meg has died saying, oh, my God, it's Meg's body, blah, blah, blah. They continue the search up until the final scene yelling, Judy, Angela. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't know if Judy's fucking dead. I guess we don't. So this blew my mind because I just assumed that we should assume that she had died in that scene. And you said that that's because, like, at that point in the movie, you're kind of, like, checking out a little. Right. Yeah. Well, totally. This is not a super plot-driven movie. <laughs> and so it also has, like, long stretches of nothing really happening. There's, like, a 15-minute baseball game scene that is a little bit charming, but has nothing to do with either plot or horror. It's, like, straight out of a Stephen King fucking novel. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they were trying to do that. Like, build the story. Get to know the characters. And so... This is like a movie that you watch with your phone in your hand. Do you know what I mean? And so we saw Judy Trudy die, and then we see someone discover a body in the cabin that Judy was in, or at least the cabin that looks just like it. And so we uh, just assume, I just assume that it was Judy's body. And you were, you were like, no, that was Meg's body. And we had to go back and look because it, it and it, it was. They discovered... So Meg's body gets discovered twice, and Judy's body gets discovered zero times. Which isn't in line with the way that the deaths work in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so is Judy still out there? We tried to Google it. I. <laughs> it turns out that she is dead, and this is just like a shitty plot, but I... I don't know. Maybe I'm Team Judy coming back team or something. Judy. <laughs> Do a reboot with Judy. Well, then, and then it turns out that that actress, like in 2014, was in a short film about a grown-up Judy. That's crazy. But I guess like canon doesn't fucking man matter when it's like a weird movie. It's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is not a movie that, like Friday the Thirteenth, right? That stuck strictly to canon through its entire run. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> but. Tweet at us. Let me know if you think that Judy is alive. Or Have not. you seen Judy? Do you know where she is now? So there's a lot after that entire rant that did not work about this film. Oh, uh, so much. What is one thing, Shanice, that didn't work about this film? So one thing that really, truly stuck with me of realizing that did not work with this film is we are given clues to Angela suffering from something. And she's hooking up with her shitty camp boyfriend, Paul, who she tells, like, don't do that. Like, we're moving too fast. And he's, like, trying to unbutton her shirt. And she starts to have a flashback. And the flashback starts with her and her brother giggling as they watch her father and her presumably her other father, her father's lover, mm -hmm. cuddle, canoodle, like, be in love. Yeah. Which I think is meant to be some sort of reveal because we're like that's the guy from the beginning who right told exactly. him about the doctor coming which holy shit the doctor coming is that an aids reference no the doctor coming would be ricky's mom because ricky's mom used to be a doctor oh shit yeah 
Wow, yeah. And he says, Dr. Blah Blah Blah's coming, not your sister or my sister. Yeah. Do they even fucking know this woman? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, whatever. Immediately after that, we're given scenes of Angela and Peter in bed to presume that they're they're about to experiment with each other. Mm-hmm. A, a bit of incestuous sort of things. And that struck me as homophobic because you're making the connection of these children watched their father be lie with another man and that led to incest that led to more yeah inappropriate things <laughs> uh-huh and it's like that's fucking terrible like what a terrible sort of take and the 80s fucking sucked but like what it, it like that just would not work today because that's not you don't you're not exposed. This is a very like, I think, value specific religion <laughs> <laughs> sort of take to take of to say you see homophobia or you see homo eroticness and it yeah. leads to other terrible things. Right. It like erodes your moral boundaries or something. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It is fascinating to see. Is this. A queer movie or is this a deeply conservative movie so when i went looking for this and researching it because i wanted to speak about this film very carefully the the community the film like horror film fans are very split on this of like this is a great queer community uh, like mm-hmm. queer film it's very representative and the other half is like what are you talking about like this is terrible it's yeah. the, i think it's about perspective and i i almost want to say that it's about age because i think because I am the age that I am, I'm kind of like, no, 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 this is not how you would do representation. Right. But maybe people who are older than me that didn't have a lot of representation in film are like, no, this is how you would do representation. Like, it's a weird... <laughs> it's so... In the, I mean, there's so much to both sides. Because I think it is a movie that is filmed with a bit of a male gaze. Like yes. a homoerotic male gaze. Which is the o- one of the few, if only mainstream horror movies of this period i can think of that brought that lens and even today it's extremely rare right like it the plot hinges on so many appallingly conservative and misguided ideas about homosexuality and gender identity and all this stuff yeah it's really a conundrum i I think there's arguments for both sides and i mean the big glaring elephant in the room that didn't work is the gender reveal at the yeah. end. <laughs> this idea of someone is transgender or mixing in with gender identity, sexual identity, is a monster and yeah. <laughs> a killer. And thinking about your gender and being forced to be a different gender turns you into a killer. Like, right. Wrong message. Definitely didn't work for me. <laughs> no, it does not work. I agree. <laughs> I think another thing that doesn't work is the pacing of this film, the content of this film. I mean, it. it we talk about it's barely a horror movie. Like a lot of the movie is just kind of a coming of age story with no real plot, no real character development, aside from, I guess, the budding relationship between Angela and that dude. But it doesn't seem to understand what it wants to be, you know? <laughs> No, I agree with that. I think that these are small moments of Robert's memory of being in camp Mm -hmm. and him putting that to film and then going, oh, let me just like sprinkle in some deaths. Right, right. And 
to me, that also kind of argues for this being a queer film, because why have such like lingering shots of like boys and men at camp? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like, don't know. <laughs> like why, like why include that fifty-minute baseball game? But at the same time, it's like it's kind of a charming scene. You know, Mozart catches the ball at the end, and it's like, oh, all these boys are all together, and you know, everyone is important. There's so many ways to read a movie this weird. But it's I, true. Yeah. But in terms of like straightforward plotting and like making it fun to watch, I think all of the non horror elements don't really work. Like they just, there's so much of this movie that doesn't even seem like a movie. It just seems like a home videos. I agree with you. I think that the pacing is really weird because I think we see what two murders happen and then we're treated to a scene of the camp owner. And he's like, oh, I got to fucking close the camp. Like, how many yeah. campers are left? 25. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. Did kids go home? Uh-huh. Is your camp only have like 30 kids? Like, what's happening? I never understood that. And then um, Ricky's like, yeah, you know, all these kids gone. It's hard to get a ball game together. And it's like, didn't only like one or two die? Or did a bunch leave that we didn't see after they died? Like, I guess a bunch of kids left. No yeah. one told us. <laughs> <laughs> that just isn't. It's just, it's like sloppy plotting in that way. Like, if that happens, you have to show us or tell us that in a more clear way. Show us a fucking bus full of kids yeah. driving away. It's like five <laughs> seconds, right? Just to show us. Also, the whole thing about how the guy, like the head guy, was so attached to this camp and he was like, we're finished, we're done, is like, do you just love doing this camp? <laughs> like, is this like a real money spinner for you? This, like, three-week-long summer. Like, it's never understood why he put so much value into this camp and, like, why he would care if it got shut down. He, like, says, like, it would ruin me. And it's like, but why? Why? Is this family <laughs> land? Is this yeah. family business? We We don't understand a lot of the motivation for the rest of the characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. That fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, like why is Judy so awful? I want to know. Uh, you had actually a really interesting theory on this. Oh my God, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aside from like Judy being a girl, I don't know. So my my theory is that we're, we see this camp is terrible. We have this pedophilic sort of character and I, I have to wonder, was Ju- was Judy abused? Right, yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. Like, I, I, I think it's a, it's a headcanon that makes sense. Because, like, she is angry and vengeful and spiteful in a way that is so over the top. And it may just be, I don't know, she chose to play that character that way, you know. Right. She could just actually be a mean girl. But we're right. given all these context clues of... Judy's angry about something that happened to her. Right. And again, because of the rest of the film, a lot of everyone's problems revolve around sex. Yeah. Yeah. And she seems to be extremely jealous. And like her mean girlness isn't Regina George. It's like homicidal. You know, there's like a deep. It's scary. Rage in her. Yeah. Oh, it's like, no, I could not imagine being around like I was a girl growing up (laughs) but (laughs) no one was ever i never thought that like any of my bullies would kill me and right exactly judy will fucking kill you (laughs) yeah right she just seems like absolutely out of control so so yeah it's an interesting interesting bit so run up the stairs instead of out of the house the dumbest decision award obviously 
people in horror movies make bad decisions and this often leads to their death. And so we wanted to honor this tradition and award for each movie a run up the stairs instead of out of the house award for the dumbest decision by our characters. Occasionally we watch a movie where the characters are relatively smart. Uh, Last week, Cabin in the Woods, it was a little tricky awarding this award. Not that hard awarding it in this movie, is it? No, and it's the sort of thing, it, I think it gets kind of hard also when people are, just, everyone's so fucking stupid. They're, yeah, exactly. It's like everyone <laughs> is fucking stupid all the time. But this one definitely does have glaring sort of mistakes of why? 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 Yeah. <laughs> I know for plot, but seriously, why? So for me, it's the head, the camp owner, leaving the camp open after people die. Yeah, what is up with that? I guess he doesn't want to be ruined. But, but. like he even says, he's like, we got to keep this away from the kids and like the counselors. Close the camp, dude. Yeah, like, right. Just you, you've lost so many children that you only have 25 campers left. Close <laughs> the camp. Yeah, they're literally getting killed, getting murdered. Also, it's just it's this alternative universe of horror movies where like if there was a camp where like multiple children were murdered, it would not be up to the counselors whether they kept that camp open or not, you know? No. It's like, no, the police would be there. Everyone would be interviewed. They'd shut the place down. They'd look for evidence. It's ridiculous. My yeah. my second one is sort of not be in the horror trope, but the fucking dudes who are playing with the water balloons on the roof. <laughs> It's just so unsafe and so <laughs> dumb that I was just like, I have to mention that because they're literally on the roof of their bunk throwing water balloons at each other. Like, this is so dangerous. You never hung out on roofs as a kid? I did, but I didn't fucking play a running game. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, throw something that would make the roof slippery. That's fair. That's a good point. Also, I love that the, the adult is like, hey, okay, now you have to get down from the roof. Whatever, like yeah. I kind of love it, but I, I you know, it's kind of like you know, kids are gonna be kids. You're gonna figure it out. It is very like, camp-like. Yeah. I will say that. It yeah. like I can definitely see myself at camp thinking of like a really dumb idea of like why don't we? Yeah. But as an adult, I'm like, no, you don't because you can get really hurt. <laughs> I know. Yep. What's your uh, dumbest decision? Dumbest award? decision award. I think it's. I think it's everything to do with the pedophile cook. To be honest, like employing him when the rest of the work staff are like oh yeah oh you you go ahead and you know seduce those 10 year olds and then the the head counselor who's i guess trying to be nice but has to know what's going on brings angela to him and then leaves and starts off that scene by saying hey Artie, like put away the beer oh yeah like right. clearly this man drinks on the job yeah it's just that whole scene is so predatory and it's not it, – I think it's it's supposed to be just the cook who's the predator. But to me, it just – the whole thing is just reminiscent of like this is how abuse is perpetuated. It's not just the one monster. It, it's like all the like good old boys around him who are like, ah, you know, Artie, yeah, maybe – he gets into some stuff, but he's a good guy. He's a cook, you know? He cooks for the kids, whatever. Yeah, he's been around forever. What are you going to do? That's already Fucking hell. Yeah, it's, it's just gross. gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is very gross. So there's a lot of dumb people and a lot of dumb, de- dumb decisions in this. How would you survive sleepaway camp? 
I mean, the obvious way is I would just take a bus home with all those kids that apparently left off screen. But I also would just be nice to Angela. Don't be a fucking bully. Right? Like, I... <laughs> and listen, I, I grew up in a an environment like this where, like, it was not very nice or understanding and got bullied and all the rest. I think a lot of us did. But I would... I still wasn't, like, singling out the, like, weird or quiet girl and making her life hell. Like, just don't be outwardly sadistic. Yeah, I think that, like, that's the easiest way to survive this is, yeah. I don't know, be a good person. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't be mean to the quiet kid. You don't know what's going on with them. Except, that, like, fucking Meg and Judy do know what happened. Because they were like, oh, Gino, God, I hope that's his name, <laughs> like, told us about her. And, oh yeah, right. And they're still dicks to yeah, her. There, that I can't believe Meg is like that. Because Meg is like, I don't know. She looks the part of the nice girl, right? She looks the part of like a final girl to me. Yes. And the fact that she is actually playing this like awful person, it's so surprising. And women shouldn't be typecast to play just that one character. So it's it's great that she's playing this like unlikable character women should be able to play unlikable characters. But it is a bit dissonant to watch. I think it's weird because I think that Meg I think you're right. She comes off as the final girl, but also doesn't come off as a follower, but clearly follows a a camper, Judy. Yeah. And a younger person's lead in being a bitch. Right. And she doesn't strike me as that. When she introduces herself, she goes, it's Meg, M-E-G. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so, like, take charge. And it's like, no, you're just a sheep. Like, you're just following Judy's uh-huh. steps of being an asshole to this. Like, you just want to be a bully. Yeah. You know who she so reminded me of? The one doing the hazing in Dazed and Confused. Yes. Is it Piper Parabo? I think so. That? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's this all-American <laughs> girl sort of like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, actually, I like, this sucks. And they're Ugh. really terrible to each other. Yeah, but I think that's how you survive. You're, you. I agree. Don't. Yeah. Don't be mean. Don't be mean. <laughs> Just don't be mean. Even, like, you could still be one of the guys. Like Ricky, we never see Ricky be mean to anyone. We see him like he likes to fight. He likes to like, you know, get into it with the other dudes. But he's essentially like just a nice guy. He's not an instigator. Right. Yeah. I mean, a little during the baseball game. Yeah, but... he's like talking trash. But... but he's like talking. It's like a normal thing. Like yeah. you're playing a game with the guys. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking some Budweiser. So we've sort of touched upon this, but the historical context of this film is it's fascinating. Yeah. Really, because there was a lot going on, I think, in history and <laughs> in society and culture and pop culture at the same time. Yeah, all of that. I think that this is an interesting film to think about in terms of like, Reagan's whole it's morning in America thing and this whole like returns to traditional American values which a lot of this movie is you know as like a stereotype or as a trope but at the same time it's so subversive and it's so queer and violent and destructive of like these you know quote unquote innocent kids Mm -hmm. who are just like navigating this minefield of like violence and abuse and puberty which is shown to be like the nightmare that sometimes it can be even if it's like a normal childhood it's really tough so yeah i think it's this is an interesting movie about america that for all its flaws can at times be surprisingly 
a more accurate portrayal of the realities of sort of the Reagan vision of of old fashioned America um, than we're used to seeing. Which is super valid because it it again brings up this whole idea of like weirdly enough like the age of consent yeah. and like relationships and how they were working because we we see Judy at the beginning talking to these boys who are casted to be very tall mm-hmm. and want, is like flirting with them. We see Meg who's a camp counselor uh sort of pursuing the owner of the camp who's clearly much older than her. Yeah, like in his 50s or 60s. But that's not presented as weird. Like that's the normal part of this movie? Yeah. It's just like very it's very bizarre that like this is what they were perpetuating as the norm, which mm-hmm. makes sense because people got married at a very young age and like this age difference wasn't a big deal and like I don't know, it's a very Yeah, and I think a lot of circles would have seen the older much older guy who ran the camp as like yeah, that's, you know, running a camp is a lot of work, but that's one of the perks. It's like you got all these like 18, 17, 18, 19-year-old girls running around. Maybe you can get lucky with one of them. Well, he actually, in an earlier scene in the film, slapped her ass. Does he? Yeah. I didn't see that. It's the first scene in the cafeteria. Oh. When Angela's not eating, she goes up to talk to him about something, and as she's walking away, he slaps her ass. Wow, I didn't even notice that. So they show you that, like, this is a thing between them. Mm-hmm. Like... It's almost as if you're meant to root for them because you're like, oh no, she didn't get her date. Right, with exactly. Him. Oh, that's going to be cute. Which is creepy. Yeah. On the other side, slasher films were a huge thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the reason that this movie sort of has the tagline of Carrie meets Friday the 13th is because slashers were the thing. They were the hit. That's the kind of movie you wanted to make if it were a horror movie. And it takes a lot of that sort of stereotypical slasher thing. So when we get a couple of the kills, we get the first person view of the killer, the stalking, using musical cues. And it just like, it it tries to follow that formula very well. But it almost feels like because of how bizarre it is and because of the budget, it feels like one of those cheapo like rip ripoffs mm-hmm. of like, oh, <laughs> let's just make a movie that's like these other movies yeah. so that we make money. Yep doesn't have to have substance, <laughs> can have a 15-minute baseball scene. Right. So it, it makes sense for pop culture for that to sort of be the thing. And also, like, this whole exploring of homoeroticism, mm-hmm. I think, was something that was a little more comfortable. Not comfortable, but, like, in 1983, if you were going to do it, you were going to do it in a movie and not on TV. Oh, that's a good, really good point. Yeah. I mean... It was getting more into sort of the public consciousness a little bit, right? Like, wasn't 82 or 83 the summer that AIDS really exploded in New York? Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's this idea of, like, look, gay people. Yeah. They exist. They exist. <laughs> and they're terrible. Like, look look what awful things happen when they're it's, around. It's following this, like, terrible thread of American history where we always have to find someone to blame. And it's like, see, you were right to feel uncomfortable around your gay right, co-worker. Yeah. It's destructive. So I think it made sense a lot in pop culture and society for this sort of film to exist mm-hmm. and exist in the sense where the spectacle is the sexual nature of it, is the sexual identity, the gender identities of it, because it was the fucking early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's hard to sort of cast or build this movie now. 
Yeah. I don't know if this movie would be super different. I think, let me back up. This movie <laughs> would be super different. Like, we would not have the final scene. We would not have this weird mix of, like, gay equals trauma equals murder right. thing. I think we would still have the pedophile, though. Oh, you think so? Oh, yeah. yeah. Pedophiles never go out of style for <laughs> drama or horror because pedophiles are creepy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see some like Joseph Epstein horror movies coming, right? Oh, my God. Or they're going to be like, they're not, maybe not explicitly horror, but like, uh, yeah, that that's like coming. Like human trafficking so. and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that you're right. I think it's hard for us as people who aren't teenagers <laughs> mm-hmm. at the current moment to cast this or to say what this movie would be like now. Because I think that the easy thing to say would be like, oh, it'd revolve more around media and like the internet. Oh yeah, yeah. Which might not be true because it's at a camp. Yeah, I think the I think they still exist. I haven't been to one since I was a kid, but I can't imagine at like a summer camp people are on their phones and stuff. No. Right? However, does news spread of all these murders a lot quicker? Right. Yeah. All it would take was like one Twitter post about. You know, the the dead, chopped up child we just found on the beach, and that'd be that. It's a Washington Post story that a parent sees, and they're like, camp? That's where my fucking kid is. It's like a whole slow burn season or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I think that if this movie were to be made now, it would be similar to the new It, where you just, it would take place in the 80s. Yeah, you would have to set it down. Yeah. It would just have to, it has to exist in that time where we didn't really care about, like, you know, DNA evidence and, like, weird, <laughs> like, important but weird shit like that. But, like, obviously the plot and, like, what drives this would not work anymore. Mm-hmm. I almost think that, like, the killer in, like, a modern day version of this movie would be Paul because he, like, falls so head over heels for Angela. Yeah. That's very possible. Like, I think it would be sort of like a swim fan, like mm-hmm. obsessive lover uh-huh. sort of story. Yeah. And then you would truly get the final girl out of Angela. Yeah, totally. Although if you had the big reveal, it would be like a crying game situation. Oh, my God. You're right. Right? Ugh, this yeah. movie's it's too unique yeah. to, <laughs> to talk about. I wonder. Also, first of all, still less homophobic than um, Cabin Fever. Oh yeah, I mean again, but like, but maybe the maybe language. not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if it would, in some ways, be even meaner, like psychological fucking. Yeah, like they would horror. lean all the way into it instead of it's because they're me- the message is a little bit ambiguous. Like everything is suggested. The what I'm thinking of is when they remade Nightmare on Elm Street, and they made the child molestation storyline right so explicit and like the driving part of the movie to the point where there are scenes that i think are a little tasteless towards the end oh yeah right but like they're like no it's it's modern day i can do whatever i want you know subtext is now text and i'm going to lean all the way into the worst aspects of this i would hope not i don't think that's interesting i think that's just like off-putting it's not interesting but is it shock because this movie right. is shock horror. Right. Yeah. Is it like, let's go, let's turn the shock up? Oh, oh gross. Right. 
Uh, I hope not. I it would just not. be an uncomfy movie yeah. in general. Right. So switching it up a bit, we're going to do the this plot in 10 words mm-hmm. after we've discussed the bonkersness of this movie. Oh, boy. And it's like <laughs> so hard to do because they're just 10 words doesn't feel like enough. I agree. To you, so I have one I can start with. Go for it. Welcome to Camp Puberty. Oh, my God. Yeah, there you go. Puberty makes you crazy. (laughs) I think mine is good luck driving home after this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, that's that's the tagline of, like, this is going to fuck you up and confuse you, and you have to get back in your car and go home. (laughs) Shadis originally had plans to watch this, like, like, during the day, and then she's like, oh, actually, I'll watch it. Uh, I guess at night and you texted me after you're like god damn it I just I have to go to bed now I could not I can't take it because it was a sort of thing where I knew for like my mental health don't watch this right before bed we've talked about this in other episodes you and I we don't really get scared from Mm -hmm. these movies no I've seen so many horror films that it's sort of comforting in a way yeah but because I am so ingrained in horror that I get really weird dreams. Mm. And I definitely got super (laughs) weird dreams after seeing this. It was a lot of the boy who's found under the boat, that Uh imagery Uh in my dream. I suddenly was at a camp. It was really weird. But God, this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it'll fuck you up. It will. It will. I can't imagine being in 1983 and like, I went to go see this with my sweetheart. (laughs) And we're like, so do you want to talk about what the fuck we just watched? (laughs) I know. God. You think you're going to Halloween. You're going to Friday the 13th. You know, your girl will get scared. She'll like lean over to you. But it's just like some people getting knife. Maybe there's a jump scare near the end. It's fine. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope yeah, it's like this is a discussion we've made everyone uncomfortable right, yeah <laughs> you all regret buying a ticket <laughs> thank you <laughs> so this is the end of our cabins arc yeah we guys we got through it end of our first arc and what what a movie to end on yeah i i really think we had to end on this one because there's nowhere else to go after cabin in the woods which basically creates like a headcanon for every horror movie ever made. Totally. And so you just have to do a hard left pivot. <laughs> do you to... think that Sleepaway Camp lives up to the cabin trope? I do in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's young people. There are actual cabins, which is important. A lot of this is taken straight from Friday the 13th. You get the sort of point of view kills one by one as people get separated interspersed with just like scenes of young people just kind of being young and youthful like they'd say in cabin in the woods like there's always youth involved there is no harbinger in this film which is interesting right there's no warning so that is a deviation yeah i think in a lot of ways it plays right into the cabin structure it just is like a lot looser and a lot weirder i agree and i think the other thing that it really like lives up to for cabins is the sex Mm -hmm. like cabin horror films always have a sex sort of driven plot or character and this definitely is like (laughs) sex will get you killed or sex is a big deal right yeah sex is is yeah sex will get you killed and i mean it goes with youth right it's like 
sex and youth and puberty i think and that puberty, yeah. i think your 10 word plot was correct <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the big difference in this is that they used actual underage actors so it gives it a different feel it's not just a bunch of quote unquote young people who are like somewhere between 19 and 27 who are just going to do young people things and then get killed it uses real kids and i think shows real youth like kid dynamics in a sort of compelling way it totally does it like shows you the raw emotion like with ricky the character like immediately springing into action because he feels that something is unjust for his cousin Mm -hmm. it like not thinking things through like it it does feel very genuine to being that age i would agree on that yeah and that i think is unique in terms of the cabin movies that we've seen also Another traditional slasher in the sense that it's just a human being who's doing the killings. Yeah, with a fucking knife yeah. and like an axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they kind of like come full circle. from. So I think you're right when you say that this isn't a traditional like horror movie because it doesn't have the scares. Mm-hmm. But it does have the cabin horror thing of very gory and like visually sort of unsettling deaths. Yeah. It definitely like gives you that sort of like, oh, that's so gross. Totally, yeah. The creative kill. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've yeah. seen very creative kills in all of these movies. Which you have to do when you're in the middle of the woods. I right. feel it. <laughs> totally. Would you say that's a cabin trope or like a slasher trope or kind of a combination of the two? I would almost say that that's a low budget trope. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like when you don't have a really high budget and you know that you have very particular beats of like a certain amount of money for certain kills, mm-hmm. you got to make them as wild as possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Uh, very creative how they saved money in this. You know, We don't see a whole lot of blood. But we see the aftermath. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we see the aftermath, right. And so like we see a silhouette of someone getting killed or we see, like you said, the mechanics also with the boiling water. Exactly. We yeah. never, yeah. They never had to figure out how to like have someone actually balance over a thing of boiling water. They could convey that story just showing like the chair and then his fingers on the on the shelf. It's real smart. It really is. It is. Yeah. So our next arc, we are proud to announce, is found footage. Found footage, guys. Can you explain what what is a found footage film? Oh man, <laughs> it is. So a found footage film is. The standard plot, which we will get into the whole history of, is that someone was recording something on a video camera or their phone or some sort of recording device, and that terrible things started happening, and they got it all on film. But then something happened to them, and the film itself has just been discovered, and so you will have the story told by watching recorded evidence of whatever happened to the people in the movie it's the ultimate based on a true story yeah totally found footage films have had a very interesting history Mm -hmm. in pop culture and i'm really excited to sort of dive deep into what the fuck makes a found footage film (laughs) and because these films themselves have tropes have certain beats that they have to hit yep and i feel like almost always have the same sort of like twist it always has a twist. A found footage film always is like, Yes, oh, it does. The person that I've been watching do X, Y, Z is what? Right. It has a final moment. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to do Blair Witch. Yeah. The the classic. 
the yeah the OG. It is the OG. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, the last broadcast, Paranormal Activity, Wreck, and VHS. Yeah, all I think, at least four out of the five true classics of the found footage. The last broadcast, the movie that I have not seen. It predates Blair Witch by about a year, which is interesting. It's very interesting because I yeah. think everyone thinks found footage and you go, Blair Witch. And it's like, right. mm, less broadcast was a thing, but very much like an indie sort of. Right. Like I watched that in a film class. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, After it being recommended to me on Netflix <laughs> <laughs> from watching the Blair Witch. Yeah. And what Blair Witch did with marketing, which we will talk a lot about next week, is unrivaled and had implications way beyond horror or found footage into like viral entertainment itself. It is, I think, absolutely one of the most important works of art of the 21st century, even though I have mixed feelings on it. So there's a reason that it lives on. There's a reason that people remember this film as the found footage uh, pioneer. Yeah. So let us know what you think about the cabins arc now that we're done. We could possibly do this arc again if totally. y'all suggest some more movies. Do you think that Sleepaway Camp deserves to be as iconic as it is? <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us all of your problems with it because I think we all have the same <laughs> yeah. problems with it. Yeah, tell us your problems. Do you think it's a queer film? Do you think it's a deeply offensive anti-queer film? We yeah, would love to know. Yeah, we would love to hear both both viewpoints i think it's a fascinating discussion we are uh, at jump scare pod on all platforms and we are jump scare pod at gmail.com so send them some mail <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right thanks y'all thanks guys jump scare is a mischief media podcast what is mischief media a podcast network that takes stories seriously Mischief Media is Extraneous, a podcast that goes deep on the stories you love and comes back with a little something extra, including, right now, Supernatural and His Dark Materials. By the way, guys, I co-host the His Dark Materials pod. The HBO series is premiering next month. It's all happening. You should listen. What else is Mischief Media? Make new mistakes. Only the coolest business podcast around. Make New Mistakes is about being in business, being in charge, and being the ones to screw it all up. Melissa and Takia host it. They are amazing, and they really get into the nitty-gritty of what it's like to be two women running a serious business in New York City, uh, anywhere. Um, It's a really rewarding and educational podcast. I encourage you to check it out. Also, a story most queer. Short fiction and nonfiction stories from some of the most exciting queer voices out there. Mischief Media, we take stories seriously.